0: Uh, we're privileged this morning to have uh, a guest speaker with us. His name is Don Ford. Don's been uh, a pastor for a lot of years. He served out in the California area most of those years. Uh, 47 years in, in ministry, which is a remarkable run. That's, it, it really is. Uh, 45 years he's been married uh, to the same woman. All 45 years. Pretty amazing. Um, he uh, leads a growing men's movement. Uh, Be the Storm is the name of it. 35 of our guys yesterday at the men's breakfast got to listen to him. And a number of our guys met him back in Mexico back in January. And he's a good man. He's a godly man. You'd like him on a personal level. You had opportunity to just chat with him. But I know you'll like what he has to say uh, this morning from Scripture. His theme is, he who saves one life saves the world entire. And uh, my hope is, is that you'll uh, open your heart to what God wants to say to you, to us, uh, through, uh, through him, uh, as he invests in all of us, particularly those of us who are guys, but really not just guys, it's families, it's all of us. So uh, I'm going to ask you if you would bow your head with me. I'm going to pray for uh, you know, God to bless him. After that, we'll watch a little video, and then, uh, and then Don will speak. Okay, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, Don. I thank you for his life, his ministry influence over the years, and the influence that you will exert uh, through him here this day to touch our hearts and lives. I ask, Lord, that you would speak ask that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us through your servant. Thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you for the, for the fathers among us. Thank you for all the men. I just ask, God, for your anointing and blessing and presence to strengthen and empower each of us and each of our families. That's our request, and uh, we lift it together in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Craig, for your kind words. And when I hear those numbers... Uh, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. You probably could kind of figure it out, but I felt old all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> the greatest number of those, he said, was being married to, for 45 years uh, to my wife, and uh, we celebrate that in a couple of weeks. And so uh, any pastor with his salt would say that uh, he wouldn't have made it uh, the first few years in ministry without his wife. I have a gra- all these great stories about my wife helping me. When I first started as a pastor, I had to go to hospital calls, and I hated it I hate needles. I hate blood. I just hate sickness. I just don't like it. And, uh, but, you know, pastors have to go to the hospital. And so I found out I was awful. I was horrific at it. I was terrible at it. So I called my wife and said, honey, could you put on your beautiful peach dress and call grandma and tell her we're going to bring the baby over and you're going to come to the hospital with me? And, and she did. And she's so delightful. And I just said, now, honey, I want you to walk in first. Just make sure there's not too many needles or there's blood or something going on. And, and then kind of, I'll peek and you give me this high sign and come in. And then and she, you know, she carried me. And then um, when I would come back and see this person and my wife wasn't with me, you know what they said. They didn't say, Pastor, I'm so glad to see you. Uh, thanks for coming. The first they would see me and they'd go, where's your wife? <laughs> so anyway, I realized just how much I needed her anyway. I I give her thanks today. She's going to watch this sometime today. So I'm, I'm really setting things up for a great welcome when I get home, okay? <laughs> she's going to look this on the, on the internet. All the, all the years that I've uh, preached and preached many, many Father's Day sermons, I'm always aware that Father's Day isn't a hallmark card, just like Mother's Day is not. And many times uh, uh, men and women don't come to Sunday for the hallmark holiday because uh, motherhood and fatherhood hasn't been a grand to them hasn't been a great experience and so some of you are here today as we just saw in the video one of the one of the many great benefits of coming into the kingdom of God and knowing Christ is that God says he's our father he's our heavenly father and you have a chance through him to get those things settled and so do you like to laugh do you, do you like to laugh because I'll skip the jokes if you, if you don't want to laugh. I really can. But I like to laugh. And I also know as a pastor that people come to church and they all come in feeling really good. Maybe they had a really, really hard week. And they really don't want to start with me being really serious about spiritual matters. So, so laughing is really good. It really is good for the soul. So let's just laugh a little bit. So according to a news report, a certain private school in Washington was recently faced with a unique problem a number of 12-year-old girls were beginning to use lipstick and would put it, on their, put it on in the bathroom. and That was fine, but after they put on their lipstick, they would press their lips to the mirror, leaving dozens of little lip prints. Every night, the maintenance man would remove them, and the next day, the girls would put them back on. Finally, the principal decided that something had to be done about these little princesses. She called all the girls to the bathroom and met met them there with the maintenance man. And she explained that all these lip prints were causing a major problem for the custodian custodian who had to clean the mirrors every night. You can just imagine the yawns from the little princesses, right? To demonstrate how difficult it had been to clean the mirrors, she asked the maintenance man to show the girls how much effort was required. He took out a long-handled squeegee, dipped it in the toilet, (laughs) and then cleaned the mirror with it. And since then, there have been no lip prints on the mirror. How about that? Sometimes you just have to demonstrate things to get the point across, right? I love that story. It's just, so you're laughing. That's really good. <laughs> Honey, they're laughing at my, at my stuff. You maybe you can't hear it. So here's a, here's a Bible quiz. And, and, and you, know, it, you know, you're a Bible church, so you're going to get this, you're getting all these answers really right. So who's the first person to walk on water you can think of in the Bible? Now, Jesus. Now, listen, if any time you're asked a question in church and you know the answer, it's just appropriate to say Jesus. Just say Jesus to anybody, all Right? You can't, I mean, you may be wrong, but nobody's going to scold you. Sure, Jesus was the first one, right? So who was the second person that walked in the water you can remember? Peter. Peter, you guys are really good Pastor. You're doing a great job teaching these people. <laughs> of course it's Peter, okay? But who was the third person to walk in the water? Jose. You don't know that? Are you teaching out of, the, out of the Book of Mormon or something, Pastor? They don't know the third person? Well, here he is. That's Jose. <laughs> and, and here's what I say about that. The most important thing for Jose is hopefully that the bull is not the fourth person who knows how to walk on the water. <laughs> it's a real picture. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So I have a lot of, I have a lot of words I've for you today. Most pastors do. But, but my words are never uh, uh, worth anybody standing, standing and honoring. But I want you to stand as I read a couple of portions of Scripture, would you? Because this is God's word. And I'm old-fashioned, so just say it. the old guy made it stand one more time and just just put up with it, okay? 1 Timothy, the writer, is, is writing and says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. One more verse. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. These are the words of Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to captives and recovering of sight to the blind so that so, so, to set at liberty them that are captive. May God bless the reading of his word today. You may be seated. Thank you for doing that today. So here is where we're going today in a, in a, in a quick fashion, okay? We're going to talk really quick about the spiritual assault on men in America. And it is, it is growing uh, by leaps and bounds. Men are being assaulted by the enemy of our soul and the enemy of the church and the enemy of God in, in, a, in unique ways. We're going to, we're going to look at... The hijacking of who I call the irresistible Jesus. And I'll talk about that quickly. We're going to talk about the Christian bubble. And we're going to talk about the mission. Now, listen, you usually the pastor speaks for, you know, 30 minutes or something. So all of that's going to take like three hours, okay? Did you pack a lunch? No, it's not going to take three hours. I'm not going to do that to you. So let's talk about the spiritual assault on men in America. There's a downward spiral of the health of men in our culture in the last 40 years. The breakdown of the nuclear family in our culture is playing out in these terms. 62% of children in America are being raised in homes with only one biological parent. And do you know which one that biological parent is missing? It's the, it's the father. Okay. It's, it's, it's serious. Can you believe that number? It's really true. Boys without father's guidance never quite mature completely. Boys, as I call them, boys walking around in men's bodies are the most dangerous entities in our world. They destroy nearly everything they touch. They graduate less. They abuse more. They addict more. They kill themselves more. They commit almost 100% of the mass shootings in our world. That's just a few of the statistics. I, I, if I had less than them all, you would just fall on the, on the floor and just, just pass out. That's the scorecard of what's happening to men in our culture. And I've, I've been preaching for so many years. And, and I, am I'm, I'm disappointed. Sometimes I, I thought that, that I, am haven't, haven't I done a good job? It's worse than when I started. It's worse than when I started. How could this be? Do you, can you imagine how many billions of dollars our culture, our social system, our government has spent to try? and solve these things? I mean I mean, billions. It, may, it might be a trillion dollars. I don't know. And it's worse. How could it be? Because there's a spiritual assault on men, and it's not, and it's not getting less. And these numbers are rising because that's the truth. And somehow, we think it's just a social problem. Well, I guess you can throw it in that category if you want. But the bigger category is is that the enemy of our soul, who is the enemy of Christ, who is the enemy of the kingdom of God, knows that if he takes men out at this kind of level, that the kingdom of God will not have the impact and not reach people that the way God has intended. I, I believe all men have been wounded somewhere in their life. Many times those wounds come through a significant male figure. Mostly, Mostly it's the father. And I say that because of knowing uh, the, the findings of, of hundreds of counselors, and, me, and I've done thousands of counseling hours in my career with men. And, and uh, when you get down to it, when you get past the sinful and the immorality and, and the addictions, they all come down to a foundation that all these things are happening because of deep wounds in their life that they never got in touch with, and so now they just act out in a way that's crazy, and they begin to self-medicate. And this is the reason why I read, read these two scriptures this morning. I think the church has done a marvelous job in helping people tell them that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the chief. I'm the worst. I'm so glad that he came because uh, I was one of the worst guys, right? We've done a good job in telling people about sin and about Jesus' blood taking care of that sin and the cross, Uh, And and so I think we've done a really good job. What I I don't think we've done a good job with is getting down and understanding that Jesus also came, as I read to you from from his own words, he not only came to save sinners, he came to heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free. So in this sinfulness, in this this list that I told you, it's just not immoral behavior. There is. It's just not poor decisions. There are. But the, the, the deepest part of it is, is that all these things happen from a foundation of woundedness in our heart. And Jesus said, I came to save, save you from your sins, but also came to heal your broken heart. And I don't think we've done as good a job in getting to that and helping getting, find Jesus, not just, to, not just to save them from their sins, but also to heal their broken heart. You're shaking your heads like you believe. Okay, good. Added to these wounds is the ruthless, continual spiritual attack in the hearts and souls and minds of men. Listen, the enemy of our soul, men, the men, enemy of your soul, he doesn't back off when you have a wound in your life. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? Kurt's had a hard time in life. You know, hey, you know, he's been beat up and worked over and blah, blah, blah. And the devil didn't say for Kurt, hey, you know what? Dude, I'm going to lighten up on you, man. You've had a hard time. I'm, I'm going to jump on somebody else. I'm just going to leave you alone because, you, you know, you've had a hard time. He doesn't do that. He is ruthless, and he will jump in on the worst, on the most vulnerable, on the most difficult time in your life, and just try to grind you to powder. And that is what is happening. And so these are real, real important life things. John Eldridge, the book Wild at Heart that I've been I encourage your men with, and some of you men have read it. This is, John Just puts it so well. Somehow we have overlooked the fact this, that this treasure called the heart can also be broken, has been broken, and now lies in pieces down under the surface. When it comes to, the, to habits we cannot quit, our patterns we cannot stop, anger that flies out of nowhere, fears we cannot overcome, our weaknesses we hate to admit, much as what troubles us comes out of the broken places in our hearts, crying out for relief. Jesus speaks as if we're all brokenhearted. We would do well to trust his perspective on this. I think John's really right. And here's from another uh, person who's really famous. His name's Don Four. Um, this is what I say: How we view I'm not I'm not. How we view people is critical to how we treat them. I've learned this in all the years of ministry, all the thousands of hours of counseling. I finally got it. How we view people is critical to how we treat them. How we treat them either makes way for the power of the gospel or continues the resistance to the same. It would be best to view people as broken children of God instead of bad people who are enemies. And you, can, you can get the notes sometime and you can read that through a little bit. So the hijacking of Jesus, the irresistible Jesus. So all my years of preaching, I found out that I was beginning to come across people who would say things to me like this because I'd start listening to him and sharing my life and you know they found out I was a pastor and playing golf and somebody asked what I do asked me what I do and all of a sudden we're talking about about Jesus and people would say guys would say to me you know pastor you know I you know good you're a pastor blah 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 you preach the gospel but I just want to let you know pastor I don't believe in the God that you believe in I mean they don't even know me. They never even heard one of my sermons. They, they, they don't even know. If they heard one of my sermons, they would be, they would be delighted with it, but they, they haven't, right? That's a joke, okay? So you're going to laugh about that. So when they say that to me, I thought, well, how does he know the, the God that I believe in? So I, I, just, I just thought, well, this is a logical answer, and I've done this hundreds of times. I say to the person, well, that's interesting. Could you tell me? God that you believe in how do you know that you know that that we don't believe in the same God and so I said tell me tell me the God that you don't that you don't do you don't believe in and he tells me and I go well you know what I don't believe in that God either (laughs) I agree with you the God you just described I don't believe him either I'd like to introduce you to what I who I call the irresistible Jesus because the Jesus that you've been told about is very resistible and you are resisting him right So something has happened. It even happened back in the the Apostle Paul's time. He wrote in a letter to some Christians, and he said, listen, some some people are preaching another Jesus. A different Jesus than I'm preaching to you. A different Jesus than the Jesus who walked on the earth. And I don't want you to believe in that. Believe in the authentic Jesus, and I call him the irresistible Jesus. So I found out that I had to sit with people and listen and say, listen, listen. Somebody told you, somebody made up another Jesus, and I'm here to declare to you, there's another Jesus who's the real Jesus. When you find out who he is, he's irresistible, I think. So what's the gap between these terrible statistics I gave to you and the men who are being taken out on a daily basis and are wounded and are just destroyed? What's the gap between that and and the only answer, and that is meeting the irresistible Jesus. What's the gap there? There's a huge gap there. And, and it, it falls into what happens to all of us when we get saved and start going to church and, 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 and something, something goes on. So here's the irresistible Jesus. Dan Kimball, he wrote a book, They Like Jesus But Not the Church. Now, that's a really interesting book. Anybody read, read that book? No? Somebody has? Okay. They Like Jesus But Not the Church. I saw that title. I didn't really care about the book. I just loved the title. I thought, well, maybe I should read the book. So I bought the book. And this is an excerpt from Dan Kimball. And I love it. You don't have to love it, but I do. Dan says he was a Jewish rabbi. Here's the irresistible Jesus. He was a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, teacher who astonished people with his insight and authoritative teaching. I think of his heart breaking with compassion for people and how he wept for people, even for those who rejected him. I think of the Jesus who was an advocate for the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. I think of the one who stood against the religious legalism of his day. I think of the one who not only drank wine, but also provided it. You don't have to believe that, but Dan believes that. It's okay if you don't believe that. It's not a really big, big point. But if you drink wine, you probably will like that point. (laughs) Whatever. I think of the one, he says, who didn't just sit in a holy huddle, point out the wrongs of culture, but hung out with sinners and ate with them. I think of the Jesus who was tempted and understands temptation, yet was sinless. I think of the Jesus who was sent by God because of his great love for humanity to take on our sin. I think of the Jesus who accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice and then was bodily resurrected from the dead. I think of the Jesus who appeared to his disciples and said that they have a mission, not to create an inwardly focused community and to complain about the world, but rather to go out and with the power of the Spirit live missional lives, bringing the light of Jesus to others. Anybody like this yet? Okay, you can say amen or stand up and clap or maybe there's a closet Pentecostal who wants to say hallelujah, whatever, okay? <laughs> he said, I think of the Jesus who appeared to his disciples. Oh, I, did, I already said it, didn't I? Okay, next. I think of the Jesus who ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, whereas our high priest, he intercedes for us and serves as our advocate I also think it soberly of the Jesus who will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is our friend and the friend of sinners, but he also is a righteous judge who will hold us accountable one day for how we lived our lives. The reason we should go out of our way to meet, befriend, hang out with, and talk with those who like Jesus but not the church is because we desire for others to experience the full Jesus. Not just the good teacher or the friend, but also the Lord of lords and the King of kings and the Savior who changes lives. I love that. I love all of it. And, and, and when I get a chance, I say to people, I mean, I, could almost, I can say this almost with you. I read it to you. And I would tell the people, I've told men that. And they go, huh? Really? Huh? Jesus ate with the worst people at, at the same time? Listen. There are so many people, men especially, who've been sold another Jesus. And he's quite resistible. But this Jesus is not. And the only task we really have is to make sure we get out and replace these two, these two descriptions, right? Here's the Christian bubble. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not scolding anyone. I experienced this in my own life and, and with most Christians that, I, that I've known. The Christian bubble, this is what I call it. It's a, a Christian subculture. Remember the prayer of Jesus in John 17? He says, my prayer is that, that then you take them out of the world, talking about us, but that you protect them from the evil one." So the plan I've got all along was to keep us in the evil world, but to protect us why are we in the evil world? Why does he need to keep us in the evil world? Because we have people, men, we have men that we are called to find and bring them in and teach them about the irresistible Jesus and help them find the great, the great Savior. So Jesus was, you know, this is a really important, important thing. Jesus did not pray that we isolate ourselves from those outside the church. Jesus didn't pray that we'd be happy and content living inside a Christian bubble. Jesus didn't uh, pray that we would be so afraid of the sin of the world that we keep our our distance from all the bad people in the world. He didn't pray that. So here's what happens in the Christian bubble. We become Christians. We find forgiveness and grace and joy in Jesus. It's marvelous. Most of our friends who do not know Christ do not understand what has happened to us. That's the way it is. Our non believing friends may think we're even weird. They do. Sure they do, right? They have no idea what this is all about. So that's the first part of entering the bubble. We become part of the church life. We make Christian friends and spend less time with our non-believing friends. Of course we would. Of course we would naturally do that. Because we're, we're growing and we want to be with people who know more and, and can encourage us in our faith. So of course we do that. But then, it gets a little, then then it goes into the next part. We become part of the bubble without even knowing it. And at first we really need the safety of the bubble. We really do. But soon it becomes a place. The bubble becomes a place to hide from the things and people that are not like us anymore. And soon we forget what it was like to be outside the bubble as a non-believer. This is where it begins to turn a little weird and sad. We don't even know it. I'm not blaming anybody. It happens to all of us. All of a sudden, we forget what it's like to be a nonbeliever. Because it's so nice in here, in this bubble. We've become like Jonah. Ever read about him? Who could only see the terrible things that were happening in this culture. When God challenged him to go to the wicked people and share the knowledge of God, what did he do? What did he do? Got in a boat and <laughs> he went the other way, right? I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not hanging with those awful people and that it. I'm not going to do it. Well, you, you, know, you know what happened to him, right? It wasn't, you know wasn't a great deal, and he finally did it, but it, it took some, some tragic things to happen in his life. That picture just tells it all. I really think that Jesus wants to pop the Christian bubble. Just pop the Christian bubble and let us know that it's all right to find new friends in Christ it's all right to gather in fellowship and strengthen ourselves but only for the reason that we can go out and tell people about the irresistible Jesus remember the scripture I read from first Timothy earlier the apostle Paul says I'm the worst sinner grace has been poured out on me and God's love has been has been entered my life and at the end of that scripture I, I, we read and he said God did this so that his immense patience could be shown through my life to the people who were going to believe. He understood, right? Staying in the bubble is not God's plan for you. So what's the mission? Does anyone know where this line comes from? This is a line. It's not my, my, my words. Anybody recognize that? That's a line out of one of the most impactful Movies I've ever seen called Schindler's List. How many have seen Schindler's List? Okay. I make myself, I make myself watch this movie at least once a year. It's, it's, it's not a great movie. For, it's not entertainment. It's, it's just it's so rough. It really is. It's raw. And this is a line of that movie. And here's about this guy. If you don't know about the movie... It's just a little history. Oscar Schindler was a German industrialist and a member of the Nazi party a party who credited him to saving the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust by employing them in enamelware and ammunition factories in occupied Poland. That's what this is all about. He literally bought them out of the trains that were going to take them to, to be burned to death and, and built this, these factories and had them work for him and used all his money to pay off the, the Nazis to let him do it. That's the basis of the story. And so he is credited that at the end when the war ended and then he became a war criminal and had to run because, because now the German, arm, the German regime had fallen. And this scene is the scene at the last end of the movie when all these folks who he had saved, who are now free, and now he's become a man on the run because he's a Nazi criminal. And this is the scene I want you to look at and be reminded of about, about this. This line, he who saves one saves the world entire. In two, 2012, 1,200 people that he bought and saved, so to speak. 2012, there were estimated to be over 8,500 descendants of Schindler's Jews living in the United States, Europe, and Israel. I don't think I played this to make you feel guilty. I hate guilt. I was brought up Catholic, and Catholics have their own brand of guilt, and I, and I ran from it one time in my life and said, No more. This is, not a guilt, this is not a guilt thing, this is an impact thing. So he who saves one life saves the world entire. 1,200 six years ago is 8,500. As the years go on, that number rises. So you, you reach out to people. You break out of the Christian bubble. You need the bubble for all the things to strengthen you. But you break out of this bubble and you reach out and you find one and two and three. And don't just think that God helped you lead one or two, three people to Christ and that's it. Because those people raise, raise families and have friends and families. And those people that you reach, reach their families and their world. And all of a sudden it goes like this. Hash is coming to pray for us. I'm at the finish of my time. Um, And uh, this is not bragging. This is the truth and the fact of the glory of God. Um, I'm a long-haired kid on a surfboard who loved to do, do drugs and surf and chase girls. That's all I made out of my life. And then Christ came in and changed me dramatically and set me on a journey. And it's been a lot of years. And I've had the opportunity and the privilege to be involved in leading thousands of people to faith. I'm a long-haired kid on a surfboard who all he wants to do is play drugs, eat drugs, and, and chase women. But Jesus said, I have something else for you, Don. And I know that, that those thousands of people have led others together. Listen, that's, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, that's what God would give with me. I will tell you something. You're in lots better shape than I was. <laughs> and you can do it. I pray for you. I pray for your church. I pray for your pastor that you'll be a church that breaks the bubble and reaches people for the glory of God. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: Yeah. Thank you. sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with us. We're just going to pray. And... Um... If you need prayer on a specific level for something in your life afterwards, we'll be hanging around here, we'll be happy to pray with you afterwards. But let's just pray that God will empower, equip us. He's been doing this for 28 years as a church, but he's got many more years ahead of him. So let's just pray, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for every man, every woman, uh, every family represented in this place or uh, via the, the live stream today. Thank you, Father, for each one. You have a plan and a purpose for each person you've called every one of us to walk in your ways uh, to walk into the light with you and to bring others with us and father we just thank you that uh, that you did not leave us in our sins and our pain and our suffering but you came and entered into that and have invited us to walk with you out of it the one day when we will celebrate in eternity just the removal of all pain and hardship and suffering. But for now, we are in a spiritual war. Father, would you help us uh, to do our part uh, to rescue people around us? Uh, Would you help us to do our part uh, to draw closer to you and be empowered by you that our world might be a better place and that that the life you sacrificed, Jesus, the, the suffering you endured, is maximized. That that, that all that you purchased on the cross uh, as much as possible is redeemed because of that. So God help us to that end. Thank you for this church. I thank you for every person here. Uh, We dedicate it all to you afresh this morning and we dedicate our lives to you afresh this day for this week. Would you go with us? Help us to live out this kind of legacy for Jesus' sake. In the sake of people, It's in "Jesus' name, we lift this prayer together." Everybody agreed with me and said, "Amen, amen." Bless y'all. Prayer, come on down.